0: You're listening to Parenting in the First Three Years, the place where we explore the strategies and soul of parenting from pregnancy through the first three years of life. I'm your host, Ann McKittrick. Thank you so much for joining me. Hey there, and welcome to the show. I'm so glad that you're here with me. You know, it's not at all uncommon for you to get lots of advice from everyone when you have a new baby. There's just lots of opinions out there, and it seems like people think that they need to share it with you. In this episode, we're going to look at some of these opinions, things like, don't pick your baby up every time they cry, or you're going to spoil them, or rocking your baby to sleep is a bad habit. You don't want them to get used to that every time. My guest today is on a mission to bust these myths surrounding the first 60 days of life. She wants everyone, especially legislators, employers, and caregivers, to understand that the first months of a child's life are foundational and that parents need to be supported through this time in many different ways. She's an author, speaker, and creator of neuro-nurturing. As an early brain development specialist and founder of Brain Insights, she's published many resources for educators and parents and is dedicated to making early brain development become common knowledge and positive nurturing experiences common practice. I think you'll love what she's got to share, so here we go. Enjoy this conversation with Deborah McNellis. Thank you, Deborah, so much for joining me. I love talking with you about babies, and I am really excited about what we're going to talk about today. So thanks so much for being here.
1: Well, I appreciate you inviting me. And yes, talking about babies, it will be great fun.
0: Yeah. So you have a new book out. Tell us what's the name of this book and why did you write it?
1: It is called The First 60 Days. And the reason I wrote it is, well, let me backtrack a little to get to the reason. When I first started learning about brain development back in the late 90s and then the early 2000s, I started working for an advocacy agency. And there was something called the Brain Project. And the Brain Project was developed in collaboration with Dr. Bruce Perry. So, Bruce Perry's work and his neurosequential model was the basis of my learning about early brain development. So fast forward, in 2019, he wrote a book with Oprah called What Happened to You? And it's been wildly popular, which I'm thrilled about. And in the book, he shared information about research that he had done with others and found that if... A baby has the nurturing responsiveness and, you know, the positive experiences that they need in the first two months, and then even if things fall apart and there's a lot of adversity in that child's life after those first two months, that baby, those babies are going to do better than a baby that has adversity in only the first two months and everything gets better later that baby that had the optimal experiences in the first two months did better or those babies did better. So remarkable information, right? right? So we know, I mean, there's been research out for decades about the importance of secure attachment and that bonding of the parent with the baby and the baby attaching to the parent and our caregiver. And now we're knowing that that importance happening in the first two months is critical so i thought well everyone needs to know this you know bruce is sharing it oprah's sharing it but we need to find a way to share the understanding in very simple ways and that's kind of my niche is i share neuroscience information in very simple understandable practical and applicable ways Right, So a, that's why I created the book. Yeah, that is definitely
0: your superpower. That's how I met you and came across you was I was using your tools for early childhood teachers and in my work with training teachers. In,
1: oh, that's uh, right. I remember
0: now. Yes, yeah. yes. So the book is all about busting myths about babies. And so I thought it might be fun for us just to talk about a few of the myths that you discuss in the book. And just put them out there and talk about those. And so the first one is this myth repeatedly responding to and picking up a crying baby will spoil them. So let's talk about that. Why is that a myth? Why is that not true?
1: Well, first of all, that is the first myth in the booklet. Let me hold up the booklet. Yeah, that is the first myth in there because I feel that that is one that is a rampant myth. So the way this booklet is laid out is it shares the myth at the top, then it shares the viewpoint as from the perspective of the baby, and then it shares the neural nurturing knowledge. So just to give people an idea of what I'm sharing here. So mm-hmm. there's 22 myths in the guide, and yes, that is the first one. Mm-hmm. And it is a very, very common myth for new parents to hear. Don't pick up that baby. You're going to spoil them. So. It's a myth because to develop a brain optimally, it's just the opposite. It is picking that baby up, responding to the communicated needs that that baby is expressing. When a baby expresses their need and it's responded to, it is contributing to wiring the highest functioning area of the brain and reducing the overdevelopment of the stress response area of that baby's brain. So continued responsive nurturing is what a baby does need. So it's the opposite of spoiling them. It contributes to physical and mental health. It contributes to behavior down the road and learning down the road and just overall well-being of a child to have that nurturing responsiveness. I often use the analogy And I know others do too. But when you think of planting a seed, you plant that seed and you nurture it at the beginning. It needs attention. It needs nurturing. It needs what it needs, right? Mm -hmm. So we provide the water and the sunlight and support, and you start seeing maybe it's wilting and it's not doing well. Well, then you provide more nurturing for it. That's what is needed at the beginning of that growth. And then it gets stronger. It gets stronger and it doesn't need as much nurturing. That's exactly what happens with babies, with children, with us. (laughs) So it is definitely needed.
0: Yeah. So this might be a strange question, but is there ever a time to let your baby cry when that's the best option? No.
1: The only time that would be is you've tried to meet the baby's needs. You have responded. And you've provided, you know, you fed them and you checked if they're too cold and you checked if their diaper is wet or, you know, all of those kinds of things. You tried to soothe them. You've done all you can. And maybe you're at the point where, ah, I'm going crazy. I can't get this baby to stop crying. And if you need a break from that, that would be the only time you'd lay that baby down in a safe place and take a moment, go take a deep breath, get a drink of water, something. That right. would be the only time I would suggest it,
0: and I think probably every mom can relate to that scenario when you think, "I can't stand another moment of this." And um, right, and I think we can all relate. The time it takes to put that crying baby down and go get a drink of water, and you know, take a moment, it's maybe two, three, four minutes, probably for most of us before we can gain our composure and come back and take care of what needs to be done. So I think it's a good thing for us to all know that everybody gets to that point sometime.
1: Right. But not to purposely leave. Oh, absolutely. Right. Yeah. No,
0: no. Okay. Exactly. So that's myth number one, busted. Pick up your crying baby because they're not crying to manipulate you.
1: Right, in whatever way they're communicating a need, you just want to respond to them. When we have a need, when we're upset, we want somebody to hear us, respond to us, be there for us. Dr. Mark Brady wrote a book and in it, he talks about something called the big brain question. And he says, we want the big brain question always answered yes. And the question is, are you there for me? Do we have someone there for us when we need someone? Okay, well, let's look at
0: myth number two. And that is that rocking your baby creates a bad habit. <laughs> Tell me about that one.
1: Yeah, that's a myth too, because babies prenatally, they had a lot of movement. They were used to that movement. And it's comforting. It's regulating to the brain. It calms the dysregulated brain when we do that rocking and so it's usually quite natural you pick up a baby and you kind of start rocking right it's just an instinct it's natural for us to do that so Mm -hmm. it is a positive thing when we're trying to comfort a baby to do that rocking and what I add in that section of the booklet on that topic is that it's regulating for adult brains too. any age. It's regulating. So if you're rocking that baby and you're in this swaying and rhythmic pattern, you are helping to regulate your own brain at the same time. Right. I find myself rocking all the time. I think
0: it was all <laughs> those years of <laughs> rocking babies. But now, you know, I just
1: find myself moving in a very rhythmic. <laughs> so exactly. We just need it. Yeah. Yeah. So. That is a very positive thing to be doing. Mm -hmm. So
0: does that mean that swings and things like that are good for babies? No. What's the difference between a swing swaying and a body sway?
1: Well, there's a couple of things. The swing is only going to continue in the same exact way. There's not going to be any change. If we are rocking a baby, we might be rocking them this way for a little bit. And then we might change a little or we might put the baby in a different position and maybe we're going to bob a little. You know, we're going to change it up. That's going to contribute to the sensory processing development for that baby. So the more we can do it without a device, the better. And just speaking of devices, babies need that contact. They need that contact and that connection with us. And touch is so important and that it's a restraint that baby is only in this one position there's not a lot of motor skills that they're going to develop how are they going to develop you know those weak neck muscles that haven't developed by sitting back like this they're not mm-hmm. so being held or having time on the floor that's the ideal mm-hmm.
0: it's an interesting thing that you just said about the uniformity of a mechanical device that's swinging so that the Connections in the brain are only going that direction. They're not going like all around the circle. It's just back and forth in
1: one. Hmm, That's very interesting. Yeah. Babies need that, you know, their vision switches, they're looking in a different way. All of it makes these these connections. Yeah. So some people might say, but my
0: swing does change directions.
1: Yeah. But it's It's still more ideal too. Yeah. Yeah. And they're not going to be in a different position Mm -hmm. either.
0: Yeah. So here's myth number three. Parenting is all about prioritizing your baby and putting yourself last. (laughs)
1: Why is that a myth? Seems like it's true. I know. Well, it is true that a lot of parents see it that way, that, oh, I got to put my baby first and that my baby is my priority. And not that your baby isn't a high priority, (laughs) but by putting yourself last, you're not going to be all that your baby needs the more you take care of yourself also. So it's not an either or, but it's taking care of yourself also so that you can be what your baby needs. Mm -hmm. So I mentioned earlier, taking a deep breath, drinking water, moving in a rhythmic way, all of those kinds of things are going to be beneficial. Mm -hmm. Take time for yourself when you have the opportunity or let someone do things for you. Allow that. And a lot of times we think we have to do it all by ourselves. Mm -hmm. So sleep when the baby sleeps. And maybe the dishwasher doesn't get empty for, you know, another six hours, but do what you can to take care of yourself.
0: Right. Yeah. You know, sometimes that might look like taking care of yourself even when you are home alone with the baby too, right? Because you can't leave. You can't go, you know, take a run or whatever it is that you would really like to do. So what would you say, just like to a brand new parent, what are the basics? What are some things that a parent should try to do for themselves
1: each day? Well, deep breathing is a big one. It communicates between your body and your brain that everything is okay. So whenever you're taking that deep, slow breath and a slow exhale, that really is good. And We don't tend to breathe that way naturally. Mm -hmm. So reminding ourselves to do that, putting a sticky note or something in a place that you see it frequently to remind yourself is a good one. Doing Mm -hmm. it while you're feeding the baby, take those deep breaths. Those are good. Hydration is huge. We often don't drink enough water to keep our brain functioning and keep our systems balanced. Nutrition, keeping Adequate amounts of protein is really huge for optimal brain function and being in a more even mood and being outdoors in nature. If you can get outdoors, take the baby outdoors and spend time in nature. Even 10 minutes in nature reduces stress levels. And if you can't get outdoors, looking out of a window is the second best thing to do. And the third best, if you can't even look out the window, Is look at a nature photograph or painting Mm -hmm. and nature is really good at calming our stress levels. So Mm -hmm. there's several things like that. Thinking positive thoughts, our brain has a negativity bias. So it's always unconsciously scanning the environment and the people in it for safety. So it's always on the lookout unconsciously and has that bias to try to keep us safe. And I can imagine that brain. that bias gets really heightened when you have a newborn,
0: you know, this feeling of I've got to keep everything safe. I've got to keep this baby safe and me safe and
1: everybody's safe. Exactly. Sick. Yeah. So focusing your attention on positives, find something to be grateful for, focus on that. What really happens is when we refocus our attention on the positive, what happens is your brain starts looking for other things that align with that. So, think about, yeah, I handled that well today or I got that accomplished today. Well, maybe your brain's going to start looking for, oh yeah, and you did that too. And you did that so you can feel really good.
0: Those are great tips and really great, especially if a brand new mom is experiencing a little bit of baby blues or, you know, just kind of that postpartum down <laughs> downtime emotionally, those are great tips for that. I would add in Try to work it out with a partner or a family member to get a good long hot shower each day if that's oh, what yes. would help you feel better or to just move your body a little bit, maybe do a yoga video or something just to help yourself.
1: Stretching yeah. is good. Another one, even smiling mm-hmm. releases feel-good chemicals. Yeah. Even if you do a fake smile, wake yeah. up in the morning and stretch or put that baby you know, down for their nap and do Mm -hmm. a good stretch with a big smile, it activates feel-good chemicals. Hmm. Something that simple. Yeah.
0: Okay, let's look at another myth. This one is the senses of a newborn are far from being fully developed.
1: Right. Often, people have the belief they don't hear, see, you know, don't have... pain. Yeah, all of those things. They don't have those abilities, but they really are quite heightened, actually babies can hear your voice before they're born they can tune to you know notice their mother's voice they can tune to their mother's voice because they recognize it so all of those things are well developed for safety it's all about survival right Mm -hmm. the brain is designed for survival so those senses are all very heightened however eyesight is not vision is not so with vision, it's helpful to understand is that the baby can only see about the distance from when you're feeding them and you have them in your arm at this distance to your face. That's about the distance that they can see. So it's very, very important to hold the baby while you're feeding them rather than propping a bottle and having them feed somewhere else and then look at them. Mm -hmm. So it's optimal to be doing that eye contact and having those exchanges for their visual development. It's emotional development as well. The baby syncs with you. You Mm -hmm. and the baby's heart rate start syncing together when you do that. So that is ideal and much better than looking at your phone while you're Mm -hmm. feeding that baby, as tempting as it might be. So just knowing that how much you're contributing to that baby's development, um,
0: Mm -hmm. it helps. One time I was visiting some friends and they just had a baby and I was in the hospital room with them and it was the mom and the dad and the newborn was in there and they were letting me hold the baby and the baby got upset and was started crying. And so I just said, oh, I think she needs you to hold her. And I gave her to the mama and she just, Automatically stopped crying, and this dad was like, "How did you know? How did Aww. you know that would help the baby stop crying?" And I said, "Well, I don't know. That's just what I know." <laughs> but exactly. but they do. They know the voices that have been speaking to them, especially mom. But yes. they also know other family members' voices, and
1: and the scent, fascinating that's the other piece of it, and we didn't bring that up. Yeah, that the baby recognizes their mother's scent mm-hmm. as well. Yeah, now that's
0: a whole nother piece of interesting stuff (laughs) that the research around smells and attachment and how all those things happen is just fascinating to me. I actually have another podcast all about that. So if you're listening and that piques your interest, find it. I'm not quite sure the episode number, but I'll put it in the show notes and put a link. Yeah, I think it's really fascinating too about the heart rate synchronizing when you are holding your baby.
1: I just think that's just a beautiful thing. And body temperature too. Oh, really? Yes. The mother holding the baby, they can synchronize either warming the baby or cooling the baby through Uh their body temperature. Nature's pretty remarkable, isn't it? It's absolutely remarkable. I saw a video
0: of some research of a baby's, you know, just kind of those jerky newborn movements, but when they slowed it way, way down those movements were in total synchronicity with the mother talking to the baby. And it was just fascinating. And so it's not something that you even see naturally, but it's going on neurologically. It's just fascinating. Okay, one more myth, let's bust. And that one is, it doesn't matter who cares for the baby.
1: Why is that a myth? Well, a lot of the things we were just talking about, There is that initial connection and that baby needs to establish a secure attachment, a secure connection with a primary caregiver or two. You know, if there's one primary parent or caregiver, that's terrific. If it's two, then, you know, making those connections and that feeling that safety, that's the key. So that they feel that trust and security and know that person is there for them, like Dr. Mark Brady's question, that when that's established, that is beyond, it's difficult to express all that that does for the baby. So that that establishment of that bond and that trust and that security and that attachment is key to developing a baby well. Mm -hmm. And- it contributes to resiliency, it contributes, you know, to ultimately to later as the brain develops further self-regulation, but it's beginning right there through those relationships. Mm -hmm. So if a baby is having this person this day and this person that day and this person that day, it's hard to establish that. And I know that's difficult to hear because Some situations, that's what is needed. But if there's one main person that gets to spend the majority of the time with that baby, that's the ideal.
0: Yeah. And I think it's really important to point out that if you need to go to work, you know, sometimes people have to go back to work pretty quick after having a baby. And if you put your child in a childcare setting, whether it's someone coming to your home or to a center or Whatever the program is or the situation that you have, whoever's taking care of your baby is going to create that same kind of attachment because they will be the primary caregiver for those hours. But it does not negate or take the place of that parent caregiving relationship. That's right. It's always That's right. first. That's always first. And I just think it's, it's really important for us to remind and make sure that people understand that about outside care. But what about if one parent says, I just don't feel like I'm forming a relationship with the baby. I feel like the baby is happier with this partner over that partner. I mean, what would you say to that? What could a person do to try to hone in on that attachment?
1: For them to establish the attachment in Mm -hmm. addition to the primary Mm -hmm. person? It's meeting the needs it's tuning in the attunement tuning in to the express needs of that baby there's an example of a friend who their daughter had a newborn and i was visiting and i was sharing i have these neural nurturing packets that you refer to and one of the cards in the packet says to meet the needs of the baby attuned to what that baby needs at the time not to what you want the baby to be doing at that time. Mm -hmm. And she looked at that card and she turned to her dad, who was the grandfather of the baby and said, see dad? (laughs) Because if the baby was, you know, falling asleep or diverting attention, that grandfather was trying to get that baby back. Let's play, let's have fun. And and she was trying to communicate. Well, you got to follow the lead of and the needs Mm -hmm. of that baby. Yeah. And that's
0: a learned skill. It's also an innate skill. And so it's a combination of the two and we figure it out as parents. We figure out how to attune to our child.
1: We learn to read those cues. It becomes a partnership with the baby. The baby's Uh trying to communicate with you and show you what they need and you need to learn their language. And so it does take a while to determine what that all is. Yeah,
0: it does. You know, we used to foster babies. We only took infants when we fostered. And I discovered over time that when a new baby came into the home, that I needed to spend three full days with just me to Mm -hmm. form that primary attachment in our home before we had everybody else stepping in to do some of the caregiving. And it took me three all nights to learn a baby's cues and learn how to read What their different cries meant and what their rhythms were and what helped them soothe and all of those kinds of things. And so that was my experience with that and a really interesting example of seeing that whole principle (laughs) illustrated right there, you know, in front of me like that.
1: Wonderful. So
0: these are just a few of the 22 myths that are debunked in this book. How can people get a hold of it so they can learn the rest?
1: It's available on my website, which is braininsightsonline.com. Okay, well, we
0: will put that link in the show notes. And one last thing, I know that you are on a campaign (laughs) to do this movement about the first 60 days of life. So share a little bit about that and how people could
1: participate. Well, yes. So I just have a passion to make this broadly understood. That's always been my goal with my company, Brain Insights, is to make early brain development become common knowledge. So now with this emphasis on the first 60 days. So in December, I created the first 60 days movement. And the first stage of that movement is that we are recognizing people like Anne (laughs) that are Doing this work and helping to create this awareness, this education, or direct service to parents and children. So, we're doing that recognition, that celebration, promoting their work and creating a network of people so that we can all support each other and promote each other's work so that it's getting broader and broader and broader and more common. So, that's the first stage. We will be incorporating others. That want to be involved, as you said. So there's ways that are coming up soon Mm -hmm. that will provide those opportunities. In the meantime, we're putting out information on how to access these as individuals. But if there's organizations or companies or initiatives that want to get these into the hands of parents, we're reaching out to people and letting them know about them so that can happen, which allows them to also. Include their logo and their contact information as provided by or sponsors that want to do that. So that's another portion of the movement. And I just wanted to say too that with the movement, I feel that this is a manageable amount of time to dedicate to, to say we're going to support parents and families and infants in the first 60 days. We can get behind. A commitment of 60 days. So an employer might say, oh, I realize the importance of this to individual families in our society. If I provide leave for 60 days, that's Mm -hmm. really going to make an impact and policies and just even community support families can commit to yeah let's all decide how we can support this family for the yeah, first let's 60 do meals least. for 60 days yeah at least 60 <laughs> days week. exactly yeah. so it can be neighbors and communities and volunteers and we can do 60 days right? right
0: yeah that is so great well one thing i'm doing just so you know is i'm giving this to people when i go to their baby showers because oh. um that's one way that I can contribute to the cause of the first 60 days. And so thank you so much for joining me in this conversation, Deborah. It's been really great to talk with you.
1: Well, I have enjoyed it very much. So again, appreciate you inviting me. Thank you. You're so
0: welcome. You guys can find Deborah's stuff in the show notes and we will see you next time. Bye-bye. If you love today's episode, take a minute and subscribe to our podcast. And one last thing, I'd love to pray for you and your baby if you'd like for me to. You can email me at ask at nurturednoggins.com. Your request can be as simple as just one word, or it can include an explanation. Either way, you can trust that I will pray for you. It's a quiet, simple way that I can connect with you and your family and support you in your parenting journey.